Good morning, folks. Welcome to the show, Ask Leader. I'm Claudia Shamba, your host, welcoming you to the June 14, 2016 edition. For the whole hour, we direct our wide-eyed questions to two local activists advancing the cause of refugees from around the world. Monica Kurka and Rashad Aldabak, they are co-founders of the local chapter, Refugees Welcome, and will demonstrate how their organization is a beautiful example of people from all over the planet coalescing on behalf of distressed new arrivals. We'll be right back with them. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. My guests for the whole hour are Monica Quirka and Rashad Aldabach, activists of the local chapter of Refugees Welcome. And they're advancing the cause of refugees of all types and all backgrounds from around the world. And we know of more refugee types as of last Sunday early morning. So Monica and Rashad, both themselves formerly refugees, are paying it forward in spades. They're here to deepen our understanding of the struggle of recent arrivals and how we can help them out. Originally, we're going to talk now about our guests, originally from Romania, Monica Kurka is a communication strategist and social entrepreneur applying new media and digital technology towards social change. She is the principal at PAX Manifesto Communications and co-founder, of, as I mentioned, of the Refugees Welcome Guidebook. Her speaking circuit includes workshops at conferences such as the Peace Build, ICT for Peace at MIT, UCI, UCLA, USC, and Occidental College. She's worked for United Methodist Charity on Relief, the Center for Citizen Peacebuilding at UCI, and the Center for Civil Society and Democracy in Syria, with policymakers around the world and with the most marginalized communities in Chiapas, Mexico, women activists in Syria, or at-risk urban youth. Monica is a Burm BAME a Media Fellow with the Opportunity Collaborative and a 2016 Women's Policy Institute Fellow. Currently, she works with the California Endowment as the lead communications consultant for the Santa Ana Building Healthy Communities Initiative and is National Outreach Coordinator for Alternatives to Violence USA. She completed two bachelor's degrees in anthropology and intercultural studies with a minor in Middle Eastern studies and later two master's degrees from Heller School for Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University and in sustainable international development and conflict coexistence. My other guest for this, po this whole hour is Rashad Aldabak, born and raised in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, to a Palestinian father and a Lebanese-Armenian mother. Rashad Aldabak moved to Southern California in 1999, has been an Arab-American community activist since he was a student at California State University Fullerton, where he earned his MA in political science. Rashad is the founder and executive director of the Arab-American Civic Council, an organization that advocates for the community through civic engagement. He is a board member of the Network of Arab American Professionals. He's an elected delegate to the California Democratic Party representing the 65th Assembly District and the former vice chair of the California Democratic Party's Arab American Caucus. He was previously the communications manager for the Syrian American Council, partnership specialist with the United States Consent <laughs> That's an interesting new branch, Consensus Bureau. We, we <laughs> need that. Maybe the next pres will think about that one. <laughs> and an associate director at Access California Services, a social services organization in Anaheim. Both of my guests 
Join me today in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Monica and Rashad. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We have a full plate, generous helpings of topical developments, but let's begin. Refugees leave for so <coughs> many reasons. It's a rational choice to clear out of a culture, a society, or a regime that oppresses a class of people or renders an entire nation as insecure. And so as a way of presenting the many circumstances of refugees, I'd like for both of you briefly, briefly to lay out your paths as refugees to where you are today. So maybe we ladies first. Monica? Yes, I'll be... Um Brief. I uh, was born uh, in Romania uh, during communist um, uh, Ceausescu era, and um, and my parents were they were religious activists. They were very active in the um, underground church, but also in uh, may I ask of which religion? Of uh, uh, evangelical Christian. E okay. Um, so there was only one state religion, which is communism in Romania. And um, or any watered down type of religion you wanted. Um, and so my parents were very um, my father actually was a teacher for youth. And that's the big crime that the youth youth are wards of the state. And so you can't teach them. Um, and so uh, after many years of. Uh, I would say uh, surveillance, persecution, torture, incarceration, uh, my my mother decided it's time to not do that anymore. We have 11 brothers and sisters, and so they had a, a different vision for our future. And so my mother actually went every day for two years to the uh, secret uh, police and asked for our release because the U.S. actually accepted um, refugees from uh, from Eastern Europe communism, uh, communist countries, um, but uh, the, we didn't have exit visas. So after two years, we were finally released. And so we came in 1982. Um, to Orange County, California, in, um, with 11 brothers and sisters and two parents. Um, and so, as you can imagine, resettling, finding housing, finding um, jobs, learning English. My parents were nurses in Romania, so the whole process was very difficult. Um, and it took a long uh, time to become, a, you know, acculturated and, and, and really find this home. And the refugees never get to transition into the career that they left. What was your your parents' first one or two careers when they relocated to the States? Right. So uh, maybe if uh, you're familiar with in Cuba how the medical system is very advanced. The same thing in Romania. Um, so a nurse there really played the role of a nurse practitioner or a doctor. Um, and so they came here as registered nurses. Um, but first they had to learn English and then their, their um, licenses meant nothing here. So they had to study for the boards in a language that they did not know um they had spoke they spoke a little bit of russian and romanian um some french so they spoke a lot of languages they're intelligent people they just didn't speak the english and so they um finally had to pass you know the english and, and learn learn uh english enough to pass the boards um and they became rns but about that it took about five years they were cnas so they worked in a lot of old folks homes Clinical nurse assistant or yes, something like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that's much more labor intensive, much more difficult. They came when they were 37, 38 with 11 children. I mean, it wasn't um, easy. My mom's life was really at risk in many of our births. And so because um, we didn't have any food, we just, you know, my brothers would wait in long lines for for bread or for any kind of food. Um, and so there was a lot of malnourishment and, and that took a toll on her body also. And so to be able to to still do the heavy labor kind of work of the CNA um and of other nurses, you know, that, that was what they, that's how they started. My dad was a janitor in a church, I and mean, we, we, they did a lot of odd jobs. Okay. Rashad, your path 
to hear from there. Now, and directly you left, I mean, there's a lot of background, Arab background right, and Armenian background. Exactly. But, but I don't know exactly which country you left to, to come here. Your well, path. M my story is a little different. Yes. I'm a son of refugees and, and survivors of genocides and catastrophes. Uh, I was born in Saudi Arabia, and I came here from Saudi Arabia directly, from there directly. In, in 1999. But my father's side of the family is Palestinian. Um, they uh, left uh, the city of Jaffa in Palestine uh, with the establishment of the State of Israel. They became refugees, and they went to Egypt. And then from Egypt... Eventually, they, they moved to Saudi Arabia for economic opportunities. Now, my mom's side of the family, Armenian, uh, who survived the, my grandfather survived the, uh, the genocide, and my mother was born in Lebanon, and then in the, in the mid-70s, uh, moved out of Lebanon because of uh, the, uh, the, the civil, civil war. war that broke right. out. And uh, eventually, after she left Lebanon, uh, she went to Saudi Arabia for, for a job, and that's where they met. And um, um, I was born in Saudi Arabia, uh, and I came here just for, for, for school, and, and then I, I just stayed here and never went back. Okay. I, I went back for visits, but never moved back. And are, is your family practicing Islam? And is, are we keeping you away from a fast right now? Uh, I'm, uh, it, it's, it's fine. Uh, even if uh, whoever fasts you know, goes throughout the day regularly, and uh, it doesn't matter whether well, you're fasting or not. I mean, well, you thanks just, for coming you just, down uh, during that. But my, my, my father's side of the family is Muslim, and my mom's side of the family are Christian. Okay. Yes. As many from Lebanon, aren't we? <laughs> well, so attitudes um, are have been shaping in so many ways there in this electoral season there has been a lack of nuance about refugees and it's it's only getting i think more intense that lack of nuance although there are some sort of uh, attempts to bring in more discussion that are deepening our understanding so what do both of you observe in opportunities lost of uh, some myths that still haven't been quite busted with how uh, either Islamophobia or homophobia have been addressed in the electoral season as refugees go. Unfortunately, um, political pundits, politicians use uh, refugees uh, to score cheap political points. And um, if, you, if you look throughout the past few months, uh, Based on based on world uh, events, the narrative has shifted. For example, last year when the entire world saw the young uh, child, the Syrian child, on the shores of Turkey, all of a sudden the entire world became sympathetic to refugees. A few weeks later, San Bernardino shooting happened, and even though it had nothing to do with refugees, but because of the xenophobia, Islamophobia. Everyone, all of a sudden, in America becomes anti-refugee. And um, uh, 30 governors throughout the, state, uh, throughout the country decide that they don't want refugees, even though that's not their decision, it's a federal issue, uh, decide that they don't want refugees in their state. And then now, uh, with, the, with the attacks that happened, again, there's uh, widespread mm -hmm. Islamophobia. Um, I told you so's speeches we heard yesterday mm. from the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. uh, presumptive nominee. Exactly. And these are cheap political points. Uh, 
you know, refugees are people who left their countries because of of war, because of terror, because of um, dictatorships, uh, and they're here for a better life. They're here because of uh, because they're they want to be safe. They want to be in a better place. They want to leave war, and they're uh, people need to understand that um, refugees are. Uh, are brave, are brave people, and we need to treat them. Um, we need to treat them better than that. We need to take care of them. They're here. Uh, they enrich our country. They enrich our cu culture. It, refugees and immigrants actually are the ones that make America greater and better. Mm. Yeah, I w Monica. Yeah, what I would just add is um, many of the refugees that we work with in, in our personal experience and um, what we've heard around the country often flee the same violence that we're experiencing here. Um, and so for them to cause that is is quite strange of an of a assumption. And so, you know, we have a lot of the the Syrian refugees that we work with, They they most of the violence incurred on them were, were incurred by uh, ISIS or by um, a regime that, that is uh, against its own people. And so they are not necessarily um, looking to cause more harm. They're fleeing that harm. Um, and then again, you have uh, with the, uh, a homophobia, you know, in, in Uganda Let's and other places. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because it's moving Africans around Africa, around the continent, and moving them here. It's, it's a very rational choice to seek safety. So we'll talk, yeah. tell us about we'll Uganda. We've covered that a little bit here with uh, an Episcopalian priest activist mm. who's been very involved with uh, Ugandan uh, Catholics, priests who've been trying to find uh, safety in public health and and public policy, uh, to the, the public's there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, talk about what's going on of recent. Well, even even about five years ago, I did a report on um, on what was happening in Uganda, and it was really fueled by uh, right wing conservative uh, American congressmen going over to Uganda and pushing this bill and our evangelical Pastors, mega churches yeah. from Orange County. Exactly. Rick Warren is one of them. Exactly. He's so not backed down from his supporting that movement there. So we're causing this harm where we're basically asking another nation state to do capital punishment for people that have a different sexual uh, preference. Um, and so when that harm comes here, we don't like it, but we actually are accepting refugees that are fleeing that same harm, um, which to me we're all much, much more similar. You know, we're, we're, we're all afraid of that um, homophobia or, or even the Islamophobia that other refugees are, are experiencing. Well, one thing I want to be really intellectually honest about the, the refugee condition is there's, <coughs> Monica, I think you were a beneficiary of leaving a communist regime. You were able to go ahead of the line with other refugees that are not in the right country, that's not uh, oppressed by a, a communism regime, but others. So, and I know a lot of Cuban nationals are, they're moving up in the front of the line. So it's kind of complicated amongst refugees who's getting processed at what rate. And are, are, does Refugees Welcome address some of that? that th those disparities of uh, entitlement to to processing. Well, there's a, there are um, Central American and and you know economic refugees, um, a lot of Mexican uh, refugees that that come are also uh, uh, I would say are um, not only economic but they're fleeing a lot of violence that is happening there um, increasingly. Yeah, we we know a few that are uh, applying for asylum, 
and passing through it. And so I think, um, and there's also just passed a bill for to receive the CAMS, the, the Central American Youth, um, but about 100 for, for our whole country. So <coughs> as far as like a quota, we accept about 70,000. Um, I think Obama said he'll um, will take 10 more thousand Syrian refugees. And <coughs> that's over our whole country. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, over a whole, whole country. And so that um, Cubans uh, actually have a different situation. They're on a different roster than right. regular refugees. They they if they land on the U.S. soil, then they can come straight over quite, quite quickly. Yeah. The um, obviously communist countries, it's not the same situation. Vietnamese had a similar um, have different different paths also. Um, and just like the Syrians will also have one. Um, we also have SIVs here that are not refugees. They're special immigrant visas. And that's for soldiers and, um, not soldiers, sorry, uh, those that assisted um, American contractors and American soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we also work with a few here. Um, that is, there's a lot of push to not accept them. And, you know, for us, we that's one thing we do um, advocate for is, you know, the way we really could support our, our, our troops are also accepting SIVs that supported them here in the U.S. Um, because their lives are in danger and they really have no more opportunities because they Zero. they risked everything for our government and our and us. Our, you know, if, if we believe that our freedom came from that, then for that. <laughs> for those of you who've just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 889 FM in Irvine, and my guests are Monica Kurka and Rashad Aldabakh of Refugees Welcome, applying their cultural competency to advance the issue of what refugees really need from you and from me. First, the understanding, unders that's what they need, and the support. We're going to open up that in greater detail. Well, you taught me something very interesting as we prepared for this uh, earlier, is that Many refugees are very disillusioned by the benefits they're receiving here in the U.S. So this will give you a chance to talk about what they get, because they, they have maybe a handbag with them, no, no you know, uh, collectibles from home, no, nothing, m very precious little material wealth, but um, that, that they are, that, that they're realizing that the sponsorship package in the European Union is more substantial than it is here in the United States, even though they, they took maybe a face value from our media projection of our prosperity, our affluence here. It, it doesn't translate into sponsorship for refugees. So, so talk about what is that package, that, uh, the disparity of packages between our two governmental entities. Yeah, well, uh, well when, we, when we were in Romania, actually, when we, we went straight to Italy and we went to a, a camp, so we actually stayed in housing for refugees. When was that? In, Tell us in about 82. that. In 82. Okay. So that's how, oh. we, that's how we traveled. We went from Romania to Rome, and we stayed in Rome for about a month. But you had no ideas, uh, no plans in staying in the no. European Union? No, that was just a transit okay. um, area. If that's where the UN was transiting um, the different uh, refugees before you travel, okay. um, where they did all the biometrics and all the, they make sure that you are safe and healthy to come. Um, and so the... So the EU is doing that processing for any other country's benefit. Yeah, well now... So that's a big deal. So that was in 82. So now they're, the prior to the Syrian and Afghan huge mobilization of people i think there was a lot of benefits and there was um housing and language and the, the idea in europe was that you would spend a few years to acculturate and assimilate and then um 
and then you would be ready to work and to to be active so jobs was not necessary you you get uh, financial funding and housing and english classes and child care and medical care um here in the U.S., we have a different perspective. We believe that people should be uh, assimilating and acculturating at a much faster rate. And I think it's the whole narrative of the pull yourself by your own boots, bootstraps. The whole island <coughs> mentality. This <coughs> continent is separate. We don't have the, the benefit of the, um, the, of the movement. We're, yeah, we're, we're isolated. So we're, we don't have that experience. We, and that, what is it? Is it still that um, only one-fourth of the American population have a passport so we don't we don't mm. understand that that mm. kind of movement so go ahead that's a great point yeah so so that 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 that's a big difference is that we believe that people should be american whatever that might mean um and so we we want them to uh, get a job so within when they come they get financial uh called refugee cash assistance for about eight months um those that are uh without children have it for eight months those that have children have some they'll go straight into the CalFresh program which is welfare as you you know those might know it um, where they would get uh, uh, food stamps and uh, assistance uh, like any other person that is under the poverty line so that's just they just go straight into that tract um, the refugees that do not have children that are adults that are not yet older to get Medicaid they would or Medicare they would get um, the the refugee cash assistance just for eight months. And that means you're also, for that, you have to be getting a job. You have to go to English language classes. And so, um, and you have to find a place to live. Um, so you can imagine uh, with, uh, you when you come, you get about $1,300 um, a person just when you land. So seed money. <coughs> okay. Yes. Your travel was paid for by IOM, the I International Organization of Mobilization. But that is to be repaid. And so refugees need to be... And I'm sorry, Monica, International Organization of Mobilization, is that a UN agency or I is believe it? so. Okay. Yeah. And they pay, they basically handle the transit for refugees. And so they pay, it's like a bank, I would say. They pay and then refugees need to pay that back. And so, yeah. So you have like 30 years to pay. And, you know, if you want to look at the bright side, you could say it's, uh, it's how you get your credit. <laughs> On the other side, it could look like indentured servanthood or something. <laughs> but... But um, they do have to pay it back, um, the travel. So for the whole whole family, we, we work with a refugee family of seven people. So you can imagine what that might cost. We had, we had to do the same thing. We had 11 children, two parents. Um, so paying it back is a big, um, and that's something that refugees are told and talked to the first week they come back. So that financial burden is already present. Um, uh, they're, they're discouraged from using their cash assistance to pay that, obviously. Um, so that's basically the money that they would have, um, the, the seed money to find a place to live. Um, so it's not just that there's lack of access. Is once they come, there's a lot of uh, trouble. I know Rashad is working with one family now, and he's helping translate um, for them. And just they're having housing issues, too. Well, we'll, we'll have ample time. We'll talk about that case study among other case studies but i want while you're talking about this transitioning who is there and is it refugees welcome is it a nonprofit sort of a, a, a advocacy entity who is helping families negotiate institutions with which they've never been familiar because that's yeah that's the other job description besides trying to find a job trying to learn uh, english uh trying where are they getting help with that yeah, with uh, understanding, ne negotiating education systems, healthcare systems, uh, anything. 
who is stepping up to do that? Or is this going to be one of our calls to action here, folks, is help refugees welcome, help relocating recent arrivals from some despicable situation? Well, um, when refugees first arrive here, they go through a resettlement agency, and the one in Orange County is, uh, is World Relief. And they're, they're assigned to a case manager who takes them through uh, the process and uh, and helps them with their basic needs and uh, helps them transition uh, here. And then there's there's other uh, service providers such as Access California Services in Anaheim, um, TIA, T Foundation, and Omid Foundation. There's there's a, a few r- refugee um, service providers that are available and and they do this kind of work. Uh, to help them transition into the system after they go through the refugee resettlement agency, uh, and as I said, it's it's World Relief here in Orange County, uh, in in LA. There's um, four others, yeah, uh, IRC uh, and others. Um, Let's be sure I have every single pers- uh, entity with refugee service providers, every one of them. So that goes right into my podcast summary. So anybody looking at that can identify. There's all of a them. lot, so we so probably that's fine. I can load them all up. Okay, in okay well, we'll definitely give them to you. After. Okay, yeah. So excellent. Yeah, and actually, we're still collecting them. So there, it's not. I think um, what we have today is we have a refugee forum of Orange County, Orange County Refugee Forum, and they meet mo- once a month, and that's where all the service providers and the resettlement agencies meet. Um, what happens is the county, so. This kind of will give you a perspective on why governors could say that they don't want refugees anymore and how it works. So a governor accepts federal money for his state to accept refugees. That money goes to counties. Counties are the ones who manage refugees, along with social services. And so when the governor says no, he's saying no to federal money. He's not saying anything else. Um, He's not saying no to immigration. He can't say no to refugees not coming to the United States. He's just saying that he doesn't want the federal money. And so counties are kind of at a loss, and they say, well, then we can't take them. So he's just making it difficult for us to serve refugees. He's not saying. So the money would go back to the federal, the federal treasury. Yeah, which will go, go to another state. state. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, but we still have our quota. And so um, what happens is that each each county has a certain quota of how many refugees they can take in. So Orange County has 2,500. So between, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Southern California. So L.A., Orange County, San Bernardino, Riverside County, all have. Together is 2,500. Okay. LA, I mean, Orange County is about 500 or less, I would say, like, yeah, under 500. Um, San Diego has 2,500 together. And this is a group now or annually? Annually. Okay. So annually, that's how much we can take. So okay. from, L- from LA all the way to the border, we can only take 5,000 5, as, as a state. Half the state can only take 5,000 refugees. And that's based on capacity of refugee resettlement agencies and the service providers. And so they only have that certain amount of money to resettle. So they get money per refugee that comes. Um, so with the quota system, you're really have to if you have to think of like you're increasing ten thousand, and there's states that say no. You could see that puts a huge, huge um, uh, challenge to each of these counties. Um, and it seems like oh, Germany is accepting eighty thousand. What is what is ten thousand for our whole country? Right now. But the difference is the infrastructure. Is that we really do not have an infrastructure where somebody works with the refugee for a few years to help them resettle you have a case manager who's amazing that has you know has about three to uh, is it three months that he works uh so they have three three months that they work with refugees that come 
um, to help them get social security card, get uh, English language classes, get citizenship classes, get um, enrolled in school for their children, get medical exams. I mean, there's a slate of things that need to be done. So the case manager goes along with them and helps them with those basic things for the first few months. But after that, the family has to do it themselves. So they need to find a car. Um, we just, I'm actually a graduate of the PhD program here, Dana Moss. Shout out to her. Okay. Her, her and her husband, um, she finished the social sciences and her and uh, her husband moved to Philadelphia where she got a job. Congratulations. And they donated their car to a refugee family in Azusa. And so it's things like that where people are just doing amazing things under, you know, the radar to help uh, others. Um, and she just had it on her heart. So it's been something we've been working on for about three months um, to get it to them. So before they had no car. So the father was driving, uh, was riding a bike 30 miles a day to work and back to a pizza shop. So where there was not a lot of money happening. Um, and so, you know, the, the challenges are so great, um, but it takes people like Dana to actually to give and to and to provide um, to go above and beyond because a service a provider or a refugee resettlement um, at the end of the day, you know, they have a lot of people to serve and really small amount of, of income. So that's where the refugee guidebook comes in, is that it, it gives people like Dana or like um, other volunteers we have on the task force an opportunity to be more equipped and more resourceful in how they help refugees. And also, you know, I always say refugees to me are the most resilient people I know. So people I've seen people like hashtag helping the powerless. Uh, I've never seen a powerless refugee in my life. Um, they're very powerful people. They just don't have information or access to to resources. That's very different situation than powerless. That can make you powerless, but that's not that's that's not who you are. And so they this guidebook is a way of having a resource to empower refugees to to do what they did. How did they come here? Right. They had to talk to the U.N. agency. They had to talk to the service providers there. They had to hustle and fight their way all the way here. And so in two years, you're from a war zone all the way to. Southern California, that's a huge, that's a huge feat, right? Um, it might take two years to plan a family vacation with a lot of money and passports and everything. So they did this without any of, of those wonderful opportunities. And so they, that's pretty powerful people. Um, but without information, without just regular knowledge of what's happening, things that we all take for granted, um, then it becomes, uh, they're, they're less able to do what, what they can do, um, which is resettle and, and empower themselves to become, you know, Americans. Rashad, you have at least one case study to lay out in detail how this is progressing. Yeah. Um, even uh, with the case worker that's assigned to, to a refugee family, there's still troubles. There's still struggles that they go through. And I want to give an example of, of this family that I went with the case worker from, from World Relief to translate because... The caseworker doesn't speak Arabic. It's not always that they speak the language, and 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 ref and a lot of these refugees don't speak English. So this family, their English is very poor. They don't speak. They they can barely understand if uh, if at all. So I was there speaking, translating basically, and uh, and it's obvious that the need is much much greater than we think because. Yes, the caseworker helps them through the process, and then there's service providers that uh, help them through applications. But then uh, there's a language barrier. It's hard for, for them to transition. Uh, I was there to translate that one, one uh, morning, and after I was done, they 
ask me to stay for, for longer just because there's a lot of other things that they are having difficulties with. Their son was going, was going, go, had doctor appointments. Uh, he had a surgery a, a few, few days later. But um, they were having trouble getting their x-rays from, from the hospital to, to a clinic. They're, a, they're asked to, to bring that with them. And they're given a phone number to call. And every time they call the number, there's, there's a machine. Right. And they need to speak to a machine. Then, um, then they get a, a voice message. They have to leave a message. They don't speak English well. So for two weeks, they weren't able to do that very simple task. Well, we can all attest to English, <laughs> as English, native English speakers, right. they're, they're a rabbit hole to <laughs> deal Exa- with. Exactly. <laughs> so now if somebody doesn't know what, how, where, what the, along that rabbit hole, they don't know what the cues are even to ha- halfway navigate that. So let's go back to that. Okay. Exactly. And, um, and, and, you know, they, they asked me to help with that. So I picked up the phone and called the number and, you know, went through the process until I found a person to talk to. And for, for the past two weeks, when, whenever they tried to talk to someone, even if they did talk to someone or they left a message, it was there was the language barrier. Right. And no one was there to, to translate for them. Mm. Or they, they, it, was, it was difficult for them to find uh, someone to interpret. So finally, you know, I, w- I was able to, to get them the address where this w- they're supposed to pick up what, what they need and then take it to, to their doctor. So it's simple things like this that... That, um, that are major. It's very major to them, but we don't think of mm. it that way. And part of it is because it's uh, an interpreter or a translator is not always available. Yeah. Also, another uh, issue with them is, you know, they they were they were here um, and when refugees come, they don't have credit. And so that's how the the travel is paid, you know, is is paying it forward and making your credit happen um, if you pay it in time. You know, if you pay it actually fast. But um, so they can't rent apartments. You know, it's very hard to find housing. And so we already have a housing crisis in Orange County in Southern California. And so now finding affordable housing for refugees, you know, they can't go to HUD housing. That's a huge long line of people that have been in CalFresh for years. Um, and so they uh, basically uh, are often taken advantage of and they don't get the housing. So this family in particular, we're told it was going to be a two bedroom um, for $1,600 in a not a very good part of, of Anaheim, just to, to tell you. So they um, have a, a one bedroom and a den. It's basically a room like this. And then there's another bedroom and they have seven people. Oh. Um, for 1600 So, you know, th- thankfully they only sign up for six months uh, contract, so it'll be over now in July. But, you know, they have a place. A lot of people don't. And so they, they are thankful and grateful that they actually have a place to live and to, and to be safe. And that's what they always say. It's the most, uh, you know, you know, this family um, is actually very special to us. We started a, a, a virtual reality um, film with them and their brother, in Jordan. So we are working with filmmakers in um, here, uh, Mina and Sarah. They they did a movie, a movie that's on Netflix now. It's called Top Spin. Great. Um, actually, I went to junior high with Mina. So oh. she's a very old friend. Um, well, watch for that title. <coughs> yeah, Tell Top me. Spin. Yeah, check it out. So th- this is called Brother to Brother, our, our VR video. And so uh, our VR movie. And so they're going to be short documentaries on resettlement, on belonging, on inclusion, on, on feel- finding home. And so they were in Jordan last week wa- working with Allah, this, this family, with his brother in, in Jordan um, and kind of understanding their housing and their medical and their education. 
and then coming back here to compare it. So every they're very cognizant of what they have compared to what you know was lost. I mean, their whole they're from Dara in in uh, Syria. in Syria, and it's completely demolished. There's 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 still people living there, but their their house is gone. That's where the uprising began, <clears throat> and that's where the uprising began exactly. Where two where youth were riding on the wall, and they were beat um, by the secret police, and so. That's the heart, you know, the, the heart of the revolution started there. And that's where um, they fled and they still have family there. Um, and so they're very, his sister's there, right? I think his yeah. sister's still there. And then he has a brother in Jordan and they left Jordan. So interesting fact about them. Th- we went to a refugee, uh, to a movie called uh, My, what is it, Salam Neighbor. So it's a documentary and um, they came and they were one of the speakers there, this family. And they stayed one month in the Zatari camp and... Um, I talked, I drove uh, the mother, Mona, to the movie and back and just kind of helped her debrief um, because it could be really traumatizing, actually, for families to see all this again. And she said, you know, so part of the refugees welcome work is to let them tell their own stories as opposed to. So what she reflected on the movie is like, these are two young Americans not even spending the night in the refugee camp. She said one day is worse than the month that they spent just during the day there one day there was worse and there's no bathrooms there's everything's dirty everything's filthy nobody's there to protect you um there's no order zero infrastructure it's zero infrastructure um and it's it, it's really because the, the un has failed and the person that was running it actually quit because of that um in in providing water providing making it um, a sustainable place for people to live because that's just the reality instead they've always made sure it's a transition point um and maybe that's the jordan government but whatever it is like just reflecting on with her on the trauma that they felt is nothing that is conveyed there. Um, or what two white, you know, white American youth that want to, you know, I, honestly almost look like voyeurism to me, wanted to see what, what the refugees live like in a camp. Um, you know, they, they left after a month by God's grace and became urban refugees be- so that they could, so they lived in really, you know, squalor and, and not a great place, but they were not at least in the camps. And that was a hundred times better than, than the camps. Wow. Well, I want to give you a chance to direct listeners to the resources and the opportunities <coughs> through Refugees Welcome. On your website, refugeeswelcome.net, is a, a means for people to offer housing opportunities. There's there's housing there out there. Uh, there's You call it registering people's flat share. So maybe there's a few quick examples you could give about the housing angle among others that people can contribute. This is the, we've got lots of calls yeah. to action for people here. Yeah. So we're not working too much with housing. I think we worked with Claremont, Claremont um, university students actually wanted to bring refugees to stay on campus. Well done. Yeah. So they, we, we talked with them and I think they're going to be hosting a campus wide conference on housing for refugees. Well, it's a lot of colleges there. So is it Claremont yeah. McKenna college? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they're redeeming their yeah. reactionary uh, brand. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's a Noor Hamdi actually is a girl that's leading that. Um, it's called Noor. It's a, it's a student movement um, that is trying to provide. So they're in North Carolina. They've done a lot of work, the student movement. And so she's trying to create a branch there. Um, okay. So um, I think one thing that about refugee resettlement that um, I always hear Jose Serrano from our uh, from the World Relief, you know, he says, it's a team effort. We can never do it alone, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. because trust me, you don't want to do this alone. It's very hard work. Um, and it's a thankless job often. Um, and so for housing, you know, that that is actually an untapped area. We need to work more on it. That's advocacy. That's um, that's the refugee forums uh, advocating for that. And there is some work moving forward. But 
I think most the call to action that I would say is if you own apartment complexes, if you own a home, if you own rental property, you know, to take a chance on a refugee family. I think you'd be surprised that they are, you know, stable, great people that, that just want a place to find home. As opposed to, you know, some people want to adopt refugees. Well, these are families and people that do not need to be adopted. They are <laughs> resilient, powerful people. And so I think um, changing from a narrative of a charity model to an actual um, welcoming model, um, just like you would welcome a guest perhaps into your home and then um, <clears throat> or you would, uh, you know, that kind of uh, empowerment and that kind of honoring and giving dignity to others, I think, is what we're more looking at rather than um, uh, this type of uh, more charity, you know, and helping the poor little refugee. Um, but we've done a lot. We've done so we've done a, a resource fair in January where we had 130 refugees. It was the first time the refugee uh, resettlement agencies had coordinated to actually provide a one-stop shop uh, resource fair where we National, had... National, state, local, all there? Uh, Red Cross was there. Um, as far as national, there's just not that much representation here in Orange County, okay. but um, uh, but we had World Relief, which is national, um, obviously. Uh, I mean, it was mostly state and local okay. um, agencies that support refugees. Um, is there another one that's scheduled? Is it annual, do you think? <coughs> the LA, LA Refugee Forum is... Um, how they celebrate their refugee day on the 23rd will be there on June 23rd is it's in LA. I can uh, forward you the, the flyer and you could post it. June the, 23rd, the 23rd. And basically um, that they use their forum that day as a resource fair. We just celebrated on the fourth. We celebrate a world refugee day in orange County, hundreds of refugees, really beautiful event. Uh, we were able to table and to share, share that. So, yeah, so we're, we're doing a lot of different things. We're doing data parties. Maybe Rochelle wants to share yes, about Yes, please. Those. Well, the data parties is an opportunity for um, for small group, uh, five to ten people that uh, get together and help us uh, gather resources, uh, data as far as, you know, uh, basic services, um, uh, housing, uh, entertainment, cheap <coughs> entertainment, uh, um, uh, List of a list of resources that we will be able to use for our guidebook and our website, the refugeeswelcomeguide.org, and that that's that's the also also the app that we're we're hopefully going to uh, the smartphone app that we're gonna we're gonna You're work on. That. Right. Yes, so, exactly. But the data parties are now. Uh, they're ongoing. How do people yes, they are find ongoing. out how they can contribute uh, to this? Right now, the next one is on June eighteenth, Saturday, June eighteenth, from uh, nine to twelve. Uh, 9 a.m. to 12, and that will be in in Claremont. Actually, to RSVP, they will have to uh, send us send Monica at an email. Welcome, they, or uh, to Monica, di Monica directly. Yes. Just Which to, yeah, if you send it to me, then I'll give you the address. And how do they do that? So it's Monica B Kirka at Gmail com. That's M O N I C A B. That's my maiden name, Brasov. So B, and then C U R C A Kirka at Gmail com. All right, that's the invitation. To, and, the and we have flyers on our Facebook page mm -hmm. also. So check out our Facebook page. That's kind of the hub of all of our events. It's on Refugees Welcome Guide. Facebook page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, if any group is <coughs> interested in hosting data parties, uh, all you need is, is Wi-Fi and your computer, and we can uh, help coordinate that. Besides the data parties, we, are, we, are, we started doing a monthly dinner, lunch with refugees. So that's an opportunity. Uh, usually the, the dinner is, is sponsored, and, and that way local 
community can come and meet the refugees and make new friends with these uh, uh, new Americans. We call them new Americans. Last month, we had one at Olive Tree Restaurant in Little Arabia in Anaheim. Okay. And um, the next one will be in two weeks. So on Monday, uh, the 27th of June, there's a uh, iftar with the refugees. This is breaking the fast. This yes. Is, this is the end of Ramadan. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <gasps> June 27th. Tell yes. us exactly where. Yes. At Olive Tree Restaurant okay. in Little Arabia. And the address is 512 South Brookhurst Street in Anaheim. Um, so uh, we are hoping to have about 20 refugees uh, with us. And then uh, the public is welcome to join us for, for iftar. It's going to be uh, uh, $23 per person huge buffet uh lots of uh, more than 20 types of appetizers and then six main courses of the best uh, iftar buffet in little arabia one of the best iftar buffets wow. in little arabia so we would love to have as many people join us so rashad what is the best possible way a guest a non-refugee can contribute to this iftar dinner uh, what do they bring how are they prepared to be as useful as possible Besides just being receptive, well, number one, you can join us and buy buy a ticket for the iftar, and that way you can be there and meet the refugees. You can help sponsor the event, so uh, it's either two fifty or five hundred dollars to help sponsor the event, and also uh, uh, that would go also towards future um, refugee uh, refugees treasury now. Dinners, okay. iftars, or lunches, mm. because we're planning to do this every month. Um, uh, also, you know, it's 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 always an opportunity to meet them, and it's an opportunity to to meet with the uh, 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 resettlement agency people that work with refugees, and also um, that way we can. Uh, we always need volunteers. We know we always need help, whether it's translation or you know. Uh, sometimes they need rides. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. they need uh, tutors. There's there's always uh, a need there, and this is an opportunity to kind of uh, understand the need and be able to be resourceful mm -hmm. when when they are there with us and with the with the refugee families. And mostly, I would say it's about building relationships, um, and because all of that help can come when the trust is built and when the trust exists. And so we are providing a platform opportunity for those in the community that want to get to know refugees and and tell their story and and the difference in this is that we're we're just having dinner together it's not a spectacle it's not a show it's not um they, they're they're there to talk and to tell their story and we're there to listen and also to tell our story i think we, every you know every site has a story and so it's going to be um it's going to be really great we had uh about 15 refugees and about i would say like 25 community members last time and it was really a beautiful event um and so we're looking forward to having similar thing. And also just with the iftar, it's just a beautiful um, buffet and such a great, you know, it's a great time to celebrate. Oh, I can't wait. I've, I've, I usually have a show to prepare the next morning. On, uh, Monday nights are a busy night, but I, I can't. You have to come. I can't. I have to come. Yeah. That's, there's nothing. There's nothing like that. Well, you, you've had a hackathon. I don't know if you're going to plan another hackathon for, for Refugees Welcome. So we're still planning it, actually. So what we, what we decided, what we thought is we needed to collect as much data as possible to be able to create the visualizations and the, 
the the ways to portray the different data. So right now we've had, um, I, I think you mentioned the few da the data parties we've had. So we had Parsi Equality Center, and now we're doing it at the, the Unitarian Universalist. So we did want to also mention. You will be. Where's that going to be? That's that's in Claremont, the Unitarian Universalist okay. Service. But there's going to be one in Orange County in mid July. I'm already talking to Bob, uh, Barbara. She is from uh, the congregation in um, Orange. And so we'll have that information out on our website, on our website and our Facebook page, and also we have an email list that you can sign up for, and that um, that will be here in Orange County that people can participate. So the first goal is to collect all the data to be able to really create something that they can use. Um, we recently created an infographic um, that is also on our website and um, and on Facebook, and it's basically taking refugees from the time they arrive all the way to 30 days. And these are the most uh, critical uh, date times. Um, and I'll, I'll bring you some here, too, um, so you can see. But they're really beautiful infographics. And um, uh, we passed them out the refugees, uh, uh, World Refugee Day, and also gave them to all the refugee resettlement agencies and um, service providers to support them and as they bring in refugees to just give them the right information. And we made it in Arabic and in English. So it's bilingual, which is something that... I think is also unique. Um, many people wonder why we're doing Arabic because you know the the real the number of Arab speakers are, Arabic speakers are actually pretty small in in Southern California that are coming as refugees. Many are Afghan or from Afghanistan, or they're also um, or Urdu, uh, Urdu or Farsi speakers, not Farsi, Arabic uh -huh, speakers. Exactly. And so, but what we what we found when we met with the social services in uh, in LA, we actually found that um, there's no resources in in um, LA County translate into Arabic it's not a priority language and so the deep so we, we look at that the scale of the problem how many people it affects but also the the how deep it affects each person and so when you have no resources in your language that's a huge impact on your resettlement um, and so we felt like that contribution will be very valuable however we do have groups like Parsi Quality Center who's very interested in translating everything into Farsi and so they're very um active in what we're doing and we it's a great partnership and they want to take all of our information and, and translate it so you know it's something like that where they're going to take their own opportunity to make it available to their community i think we'll also it's a team effort like we said you can't do it alone no well you know i'm thinking about the the political mobilization model with the <coughs> lgbt movement and how familiarity uh, just persistently worked at was what brought the barriers down between straight and gay. And that so much progress has been made mm -hmm. on no longer vilifying as a large, as a, mm -hmm. as a group, lesbians, gays, uh, queers, all, you know, transsexuals. Transsexuals are still at most at risk and mm -hmm. all. But mm -hmm. so it sort of begs the question about uh, and refugees are of all kinds, of all types of household types and that kind of a thing. but. If there's some model there in familiarity with the refugees' mm -hmm. very complicated, recently arrived lives that can break the, bring the barrier down for a more nuanced discussion of this movement into our countries so that we can make the most of their horrific situation, make the most for a, a, a very heterogeneous society that we've always been since the first refugees arrived in the 17th century. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's true. Uh, Rashad actually was just we just had a we did a a, a, f a film with uh, the Huffington Post. They yes. did a short video, and yes. so he 
yeah, you can tell. Yeah, we, we had a, um, we invited, we actually had a film done by uh, Rola Salbach, a short film, and um, it was on the Huffington Post. We invited two Donald Trump supporters in, in Southern California to come join us uh, to speak about Muslims, about refugees, about immigrants, and what their views are of them. Uh, and we invited them to Little Arabia's olive tree and we uh, over, over lunch. So Olive Tree was uh, generous enough to uh, provide provide the lunch, and uh, we had a 30-minute discussion with them about immigration, about refugees, and um, and after that we took uh, these two Donald Trump supporters to uh, to a the home of uh, of a Muslim family who welcomed them, uh, and uh, um, you know had a half an hour discussion with them over tea and dessert. Uh, about uh, about all kinds of topics and uh, address their fears and you know uh, they're they're just fearful they're 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 uh, basically parroting the things that that uh, political pundits are saying and they're f- uh, fearful of refugees or of immigrants of, of Muslims and we kind of broke down that fear and one of them so uh, that's two. Subtracted from ten million, you're you're making <laughs> yes, great progress. One at a time. But, but, well, know, the video you know, and they're was, telling their friends. So, but yeah, the video exactly. was seen by many, many. Okay, and the video was seen like at least uh, fifty thousand times. Uh, and uh, you know, it's. I think this is this is a good way to uh, kind of break down these people stereotypes people and, and, work. and, and yep. fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Social cohesion. That's our work. Oh, I'm. You have so many events planned, and I know you'll have more, and you'll have more stories to tell us. I hope you'll be able to. Fill in more of what we were talking about today. Come back again on the show with more uh, s- a series of, of plans coming up there. I really, really appreciate your coming in today. Monica Kurka and Rashad Aldabak, who are both from the Orange, well, the Southern California, I should say, not just the Orange County chapter. Of we, we just have created an organization or called Refugees Welcome. Refugees Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> and here they are. And I want to thank both of you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that was my wrap. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Talk with you next week. Thank you.